Good afternoon. It's good to see you. This is room G for God. God is good all the time, that sort of thing. If you're looking for room B, it's out this door here, down the hallway. This is what I'd like you to do. If you would take your Bibles and stand with me, please, for a minute. This, I'd just like to take just the first couple of minutes and sing in the Spirit. Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, he said, I sing in the Spirit and I sing with understanding. Well, Dale, my singing voice is not so good. Well, you know what? Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 14 says, Let me see your face, let me hear your voice. There are so many in the body of Christ today that are afraid of even their own voice. You know, they sit purposely on the front row, not because they like the front row, it's because they don't want to be behind anybody singing and having that person hear their singing voice. So this is what I would like to do. We're just going to take a few minutes. If you take your Bible, Matthew chapter 5. I want us to have a vision for this. We already do, but I just want to practice it because, you know, we're going to be doing this forever and forever and forever anyways. So let's just practice it now. So let's start with the Beatitudes. And all we're going to do is we're just going to lift our voices and we're singing in the Spirit and we're going to sing with understanding. And so if you sing in tongues, then just lift your voice. It's not a militant thing. We're not warring in the Spirit. We're not going hard in intercession. All we're doing is we're picturing ourselves before the throne of heaven, which we are on the sea of glass. And we're picturing that man on the throne and we're singing to him the glories due his name. And when we sing in the Spirit, we don't fully know always what we're saying, but our spirit is edified. And we can do this corporately. And then in a moment of time where it just, it just kind of bubbles up out of your spirit, sing with understanding, take one of the Beatitudes, blessed are the whatever, and just sing it to Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in spirit, pure in heart, for they shall see you. Lord, give me a pure heart. I want to see you. Just sing to him that way and then go back into tongues if you sing in tongues. All right? Is that clear? Is that we're going to? All right? Let's, so let's just do that. Lift your voices now. Don't be afraid of the person in front of you. Lift your voice. Lift your voice. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who see the distance between their heart and yours, O God. Blessed are those, Lord, who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Worthy, worthy are you, Lord. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't worry about the voice to your right or to your left. Don't worry about the person in front of you and what they think of your singing voice. You're just singing before the throne right now. Blessed are the merciful. Thank you for mercy today. Thank you for mercy today. Blessed are the merciful. 
Keep going, don't stop. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We receive your mercy today. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek, O God. Father, I ask for meekness today. Blessed are the meek today. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Keep going. Don't stop. Don't stop. Just lift your voice. Don't worry about those to your right or your left or in front of you. Just lift your voice. Just lock in before the throne and lift your voice. Blessed are the meek today. Blessed are the meek today. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. They shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, I thank You for Your Holy Spirit this afternoon. I thank You how You come and You change the atmosphere of our hearts. And Father, I'm asking this afternoon that as we sit before You, Your your throne, I ask that You would strengthen us, that You would guide us. I ask, Lord, that Your Holy Spirit would change us. Lord, even as we dive into Your Word this afternoon, just for this short period of time, I ask that somehow You would redirect our hearts for the rest of our lives. Somehow may we walk out of this place changed. Father, I ask throughout this entire confidence, through this entire conference, may the Word of the Lord runs swiftly. Let it be glorified in our hearts. I ask, Father, that again our hearts would move at the sound of Your voice, would move at the sound of Your Word, that as we read Your Word, that our hearts would ignite, that our hearts would move, that our hearts would shift. Father, I'm asking in Jesus' name that this afternoon that grace would be upon this room. And I ask, Lord, because You love us, would You do something noteworthy, do something special in Jesus' Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's my task this afternoon to talk about the fasted lifestyle. So I just want to do that very simply, not because you're simple people, but just because I just happen to believe that there's, you know, we've gotten things a little bit complicated. 
And I just want to look at it in a particular way. I just I want to take one, uh, one beatitude. And from that beatitude, I want to just kind of expand it out. And I want to look at the fasted lifestyle. I want to talk about that very practically so that you walk away with very simple things to work on. Because, quite frankly, it's... You know, it's fine to just have another teaching. I just, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a Bible teacher. I just want you to know I've had enough of good teachings. I mean, good teachings are good. I mean, they're good. But what about a changed life? What about, you know, just walking away from one of the, another one of these life-changing conferences, but with a life impacted that will change and walk out life in a different way for the rest of your life? What about that? Because I've been to a lot of conferences. I mean, I like this conference. I think it's a good conference. I mean, obviously you think you're here because you, you drove or flew through the weather to get here. And so obviously you think there's something here. Well, that, And that's great. But I, I, I'm asking you, how is it going to be Tuesday morning? Wednesday morning? Next week when you go back to college, go back to school, go back to work, go back home, wherever it is... And now life has got to be lived out. And you went to a conference for four days and it was great and you got your spirit stirred. But so what if in a week's time it's just back to the same old mundane grind without something ignited on the inside? Really? I mean, it's, you know, my friends, I am hungry for something. That's what I want to look at today. I just want to pick up on that one beatitude. I want to live a life of hunger. I want to be hungry for something. And I want what I'm hungry for to be satisfied in the right way. And so that's what I want to look at. If you take your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Real simple. We've got eight Beatitudes. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's like, it's like the Magna Carta. It's like the Constitution of the Kingdom of Heaven. Very simple, three chapters outlined. Actually, if you look at the book of James, James takes what his brother preached... And he paraphrases it in a different way. What do you mean, James? James is really an intense book, Dale. I mean, have you read the book of James? Yes, I have. James takes the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and expounds it and paraphrases it in a different way. If you take Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and put James together, you have two of the greatest teachings about the constitution of Christianity. And my friends... Please forgive me. I don't want to sound like I'm church bashing or I'm upset today. I just want you to know I'm tired of programs because programs do not lead me to a person. Programs lead me to a program. Programs help me do something, but they don't always lead me to a living, vital relationship with a person. And the th I, I mean, I've tried it. I've pastored churches. I have done the ministry. I just want you to know I've tried many things and very few things actually help me connect with the Lord like the simplicity of the Sermon on the Mount, the simplicity of what we call the fasted lifestyle. Jesus said himself, come to me, you who are weary, weary of what? Weary of carrying the burdens of having to do what everybody says is the right thing to do, but without a living relationship with him. Carrying the burdens of programs, carrying the burdens of doing the work of the ministry or playing church, but not really connecting with the Lord. 
This is the thing that has been driving my heart for years and years. There's this hunger on the inside of my spirit. And sometimes I've reached out to feed it in really good, positive ways. And suddenly there's Jesus on the inside ignited and I'm walking with them. And there's been days where I've been feeding that hunger on the inside with things that do not satisfy, as Isaiah says. And I'll tell you, it breaks down the human spirit and brings a weight upon us that will eventually crush us. And that's why Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary of carrying that kind of life. It's not going to satisfy you. He said, my yoke, we are meant to carry a yoke. We are meant to be yoked to the Lord. We are meant to walk out a life that sometimes is difficult, sometimes is hard, sometimes is easy. There's peaks and valleys in it. There's some days where we feel like we're standing on the mountaintop and can take on the world. And there's days where we feel like we're at death's door walking in the valley under the shadow. And we think, what is this all about? My friends, that is a part of life. But we are to walk it out yoked to the Lord, walking out a lifestyle, what we call the fasted lifestyle, that carries grace on it from heaven. My friends, there's only one lifestyle that the Lord Jesus gave to us that he said as a yoke will minister life to us and will minister grace to us. This is my perspective. The farther away we get from the Sermon on the Mount, the heavier the grace of life is the heavier and the more difficult life is. Not because we have more trials and difficulties, but because we, that, the, the farther away we get from that lifestyle, the farther away we get from the grace of God that enables us, enables us to walk out life. There is a grace that He is meant for us to have in relationship with Him that helps us walk out this life. Moses and... Psalm 90, he says, you have 70, 80 years of by strength, and all they are is sorrow and toil. And I'm thinking, gee, thanks, Mo. That's nice. That's kind of intense. And he's saying, no, wait a minute, that's true. But you can either walk out those 70, 80 years, yoked to the Lord with a grace on your life that no matter what hits you, no matter what comes at you, you're cultivating a life that is real. He said, if you, if the farther away you step from that life, the, the more difficult it is, not because difficulties are more impactful, but because you have no grace to carry that life. And so Jesus is showing us here a garden. Now, some call it eight flowers, eight beatitudes. I like fruit trees. So I think these are, this is my orchard of eight trees. I love fruit trees. Grew up in Kelowna, British Columbia in the Okanagan. Fruit from June until the end of September, beginning of October. It was just like one tree after the other, all different. It was beautiful stuff. Guess you had to be there. Anyways. And I'm looking at verse 6. And this is what it says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled. This is my perspective. I think on the earth today, the Lord is releasing two great gifts. Gift number one is what I call the gift of hunger. Matthew 5, verse 6. People are hungry. Have you met hungry people? I mean, I'm not just talking about, I need another sandwich. I need another pizza. I need another hoagie or whatever you call those things. You know, Alan Hood. Hot dogs with chili on them. You've got to hear his story. Broke it. 21 day, 20 day, yeah, 21 day fast on a 
chili dog. Ended up, ended up in the fetal position. I'm not talking about that kind of hunger. What I'm talking about is a spiritual hunger for more of God and the reality of God. I believe the Lord is pouring that out right now on the earth. I believe it's one of the greatest gifts that he could give us right now. Do you realize that your desire for more of God actually originates and starts with God himself? Because it takes God to love God. In other words, you, you and I, left to ourselves, would not choose to be hungry for God. We would choose other options. But God, is, through His mercy and through His grace, is giving a great gift on the earth. In this, my friends, I've been on three continents, eight different nations. There are hungry people all over the earth. Culture, language, color of skin... Matters not. There are hungry people everywhere. And what are they hungry for? Jesus tells us here that they're hungry and they're thirsty for righteousness. What does righteousness mean? It's that right standing before God that you can stand before Him with an unlocked heart, totally open and free, knowing that you can stand there with confidence and that as He looks down on you, He is smiling. It's that desire in the heart of every man, woman, and child to stand before God knowing that their conscience is clear and they're right before Him. It's that hunger inside that for righteousness that just goes beyond even that minor level where it says, now I know I stand before you with a clear conscience. I want more than that. I want to know that as I stand before you, that I can stand before men and call them to the same lifestyle. My friends, it's this hunger that when fed in the right ways will have an outflow on those around you. My friends, the hungry lifestyle that the Lord has for you is contagious like a virus. People get around you and they say, what do you have? Or they get around you and they gnash their teeth because they're mad at what you have because you bring the plumb line of God up against their life and suddenly now they're wrestling with the righteousness of being right before God. They're having to wrestle with the fact that their hearts are off a little bit and and your life, you haven't even said anything to them yet. You've just allowed the virus that's on the inside of you called hunger to ooze out of you and that spiritual content on the inside of you is coming out and it's like a plumb line right beside them and suddenly now they're wrestling. And what it is is the Spirit of God in you is being poured out on them and their heart is being called to the same hungry lifestyle that you are living. Men all over the earth are hungry for something right now. Isaiah said it this way in Isaiah 55. First two verses. He goes, Ho! I don't know if that's the New King James Version. Ho! I don't know if he was Santa Claus or something, but he goes, Ho! Getting everybody's attention. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no no money, come buy and eat. I mean, think of this man. 
Think of this Jesus who prophesies through one of his prophets and he says, come everyone who thirsts and even you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come satisfy yourself. Even if you don't have any money, come and satisfy yourself. My friends, I think our monetary system is off. Here clearly in Isaiah, he's saying the Lord is speaking to the hunger of our hearts. Those of you who are thirsty, those of you who are hungry, come buy and eat, even if you have no money. And we think, what can we buy with? What can we give if we're called to buy? If we're called to come to your, to your well and buy, what is it that we, that we use to buy? What's our, what's our money? The paper doesn't work. The coins don't work. We can put in God we trust on them, but it doesn't, doesn't matter in God's economy. What's he talking about? Come, buy and eat. He's talking about coming with your life. You. Not the you out here that you would like everybody to recognize, but the you inside. The weak you. The broken you. The one that failed last night. And thinks that you need to do three months of penance in order to get back so that you can have a good cry. So that eventually now you can be accepted back into the beloved. My friends, been there, done that. Get off that bus. The God in heaven, Jesus, His Son, love you now as they did yesterday, as they will tomorrow And they're waiting for you to come with just a hungry heart, tear it open, stand before them and say, here I am. This is this is the worst and the best of me, but I'm hungry for you. Nothing but you will satisfy me. And Isaiah said, come and come by and eat. And then he asks this question in verse two, he says, why do you spend money? For what is not bread? Why do you spend your wages on those things that do not satisfy? Why? What, are, what is your wages? What is your money? Well, it could be your literal money. The resources that the Lord's given you in terms of whatever He's given you in your bank account. But your resources go way beyond just the coins that you have in your pocket. Your resources also touch your time. And so here we look at the fast when we talk about the fasted lifestyle, we talk about the Sermon on the Mount. We talk mostly about what are we doing with our time and our money, the two greatest resources given to us on the earth right now, our time and our money. What are we spending our time on and what are we giving our money to? I'm not going to take an offering. Don't worry. (laughs) That's later in the conference. But what are you taking the resources that God has given you? What are you doing with them right now? How are you spending them? He says, listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. What's the message that Isaiah is giving to us from the Lord? He's saying, take the resources that you have, your money and your time, and spend it on things. Spend it on things that will satisfy your spirit. 
So the first gift that I believe the Lord is giving on the earth is called the gift of hunger. People are hungry. Do you realize also that there are many people who are hungry on the earth today who are satisfying that hunger with negative things? It doesn't mean that they're evil people. It just means that they don't know how to satisfy their hunger. They need to be cut free and given something else. Offered something else. Somebody needs to be a voice in their life. You know, you can just look and say, you know what? I, you, we, we get angry and say, you're ruining your life. And that could be true. But here's another approach. You are so hungry. You're searching for something right now. Let me give you another option. Besides alcohol, besides drugs, besides whatever it is. Let me give you another option. It's called Jesus. Well, yeah, I can't see Him. You know, no, wait a minute. This is something that will satisfy. The second gift I believe He's giving is the actual lifestyle that feeds that hunger. So the Lord doesn't say, hey, be hungry for me. And then walk away. He actually, in the Sermon on the Mount, gives us, specifically in chapter 6, five specific things, tools, that we use to feed our lives. Now, my friends, these are not five programs. The church has made them programs. The church has turned them into disciplines, which is, is not bad. I just I want to be clear. I'm not trying to be negative here. The, the point is, is that the Lord sees them as tools that are a means to an end. They are not an end in and of themselves. Prayer in the church is critical, but it is not an end in and of itself. The prayer ministry, the prayer program should be leading us somewhere. And where should it be leading us? It should be leading us to a man. And so prayer for the sake of prayer, well, it's good and the Lord takes it. But he said, here, let's take this up a notch because eventually you'll get tired of this and walk away. Because human zeal and human effort can only carry programs for so long. But if there's a vital connection in what we do to the man, then there's life in it for us. And so actually the lifestyle that feeds that hunger on the inside, we find in chapter 6. Five very simple things. And my friends, I have to tell you that since coming to the house of prayer about four and a half years ago, I had tried many different things to connect with the Lord. And yet since touching these very simple five things as a means to a greater end, something has been ignited in my life and there's greater depth in life on my heart. It's like four years of detoxifying myself from all of the religious ways, from all of the pathways, from all of the means to an end, which was just simply another means to an end. What are they? Really quickly, really quickly. Chapter 6, Matthew 6. I'm not giving them in the particular order that they're presented, but here they are. These are five things that I do to help me touch the Lord. They actually give me a springboard in touching the Lord because that's my goal. It's the Lord. We call this the fasted lifestyle. Really living simply, deciding, making critical decisions with our time and our money, and then just practicing the very simple things that He's, giving us, that he's given us to touch Him and come in contact with Him. 
And living this way actually brings grace upon our lives. It doesn't mean that my life has been perfect. It doesn't mean that I haven't had difficulty. It does not mean that there haven't been trials and temptations. It means that what I what, that, that that life that I face, this dif, the difficulties and the mountaintops and the and the the valleys are faced in a, under an atmosphere of grace with the Lord. That's what it means. That gives me wisdom and understanding, and that keeps me connected to Him. And it keeps me married to my wife. Five things. First, prayer. But prayer as a means to another end. And what's the end? Him. Him. It's not prayer for the sake of prayer, although that's good. I I, I totally believe in that. I mean, because, you know, really that we got to start somewhere. But prayer as a means to a greater end, which is touching him. That means the goal of my prayer time is to, Lord, just move in my heart. And and when I walk away, if I just feel like, wow, okay, that was an hour. I don't know what happened, but I still believe that something happened, whether I feel it or not. The means to a greater end, which is Him. Second, fasting. Oh, my. And it just means skipping lunch and sitting in your cubicle at work or sitting on a park bench taking out your Bible, or just even simply doing what we did to start this session, just, just singing or just talking to the Lord. You know, I love you. This is a beautiful day. It's another day of mercy for me. And talking to Him, and He will talk back to you, I guarantee you, and skipping lunch. Adjusting our appetites. My friends, like in the lifestyle of Daniel, chapter 1, that man, that young boy at 15 years of age, had a strength in him to change and say no to certain appetites. Where did he get that? He had an ability to say no to the king's table. He had an ability to say no to fleshly appetites at that time. I want that. I want that strength on the inside of my life to say no to fleshly appetites. I want that in my life. Number two, sorry, number three, is serving without expecting anything in return. That means serving in secret. That means you do something for someone or you serve the Lord in whatever He gives you to do and you expect nothing in return. That means you're doing it in secret. That means you're not doing it with great fanfare so that everybody notices what you've done. You just do it for the sake of the fact that the Lord is watching regardless of anybody else horizontally is watching. Prayer, fasting, and serving without expecting anything in return. Now, that is a challenge. I don't know about you. Maybe you're perfect. That's okay. But for me, that's a challenge. I like people to notice. Isn't it great what I did? Yeah, that really that's good. That constant need for affirmation and feedback. It's like, hey, do it without expecting anyone to notice. If they notice, great. If they don't, your reward is in heaven. Number four, generous giving. And this does not just mean your money. Generosity of spirit. Generosity that if you have two of something 
and your brother has not none, that one of them goes from your hand into his hands. I started practicing something in our, in, early in our marriage. We started doing something that was just a little bit, you know, some people thought it was strange, but we really wanted to have a generous spirit in our home. And so what we did is we made a decision, we're going to be generous people. That means, yes, we're going to give away, but it also meant we had to learn how to receive. Because I don't always need everything that is given to me. So I'll give you an example. Not long ago, I was sitting in my office at the house of prayer, and someone said, hey, I have an extra coffee maker. Do you need it? Did I need the coffee maker? No, I did not. Did I receive it? Yes, I did. Why? Because I want to build a history with God. How am I going to build a history with God? Well, I receive the coffee maker with thankfulness. It's humbling to receive. How many know that? It's humbling to receive. It humbles you in your generosity. Did I need the coffee maker? No. Well, Dale, you're being stingy. You know, you're taking something that you don't need. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Here's another way of looking at it. I want to build a history of generosity with God. So I receive it with thankfulness. That's called humility. And then what am I doing? I put it away and I'm waiting for the day where the Lord sends someone to me and says, oh, man, you know, in our conversation is like, oh, my coffee maker broke down yesterday. Really? Interesting. I have an extra one at home. Do you need it? What? You have a coffee maker? Yes, I have a coffee maker. Here, you can have it. And I give it away. What have I done? I've just created a history with God with a generous spirit because freely I have received and so I freely give. Developing a history of a generous spirit. Money, your time, your energies. It's not just money. Build a history with God. Oh, we have stories. I tell you, many of you in this room have stories. Our daughter, she's 16 years old. We adopted her from Romania. The day we made the decision, we had $100 in our bank account. By the time the thing was done and all of the process of everything, we had spent $10,000 and I didn't owe anybody any money and I had no idea where the money came from. No idea. No idea. Building a history in God with generosity. And then finally, number five, fasted lifestyle. This is fasted lifestyle 101. Prayer, fasting, serving without expecting anything in return, generous giving. Number five, ooh, blessing your enemies. My friends, ugh. Elisha, do you remember the story? All of the armies out in front of him struck blind. And his servant comes up. Shall I go get the king so the king come out, can come out and slaughter all of these guys? And Elisha says, no, take them into the city and give them dinner. Hold a feast for them. Blessing your enemies. God bless you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> but in the heart, what is, how do we bless our enemies? We forgive them. We forgive them. Last beatitude. Bless, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. My friends, Timothy tells us very clearly, if you're going to live godly in Christ Jesus, all those that do so will suffer persecution. 
we are going to be persecuted for our belief in Christ. There's going to be a pushback from the kingdom of darkness. And when he pushes back, how will you respond? Because he doesn't just push back with his demons in the spirit world. He pushes back by inciting people on the earth around you in your life so that the pushback has a face to it. So that it's real. And so blessing our enemies is actually forgiving them. Well, Dale, you don't know what they've done to me. You're right, I don't. I totally believe in the justice system of God and the justice system that He's established on the earth for what it might be. But still, in on the heart, we are called to be people who forgive and bless our enemies. These are the things that we practice as a part of the fasted lifestyle. Final thing, I want to give you two examples very, very quickly. Okay, Dale, point me to people who do this. I mean, it's like, prove this to me. Two people, Matthew 24, in Jesus' prophecy of end times. That means he was speaking of our day. I don't have time to go into why I think we live in the end times. I think we're beginning into the beginning of them. That's my perspective. I think biblically we can prove that. And Jesus said, in that day... It's going to be like this. And he gives us two men. He names two men by name. And out of all of the people in the Bible that Jesus could have named, he gives us two names that affirm to us how to live during these times in which we live. The two names, Matthew 24, 15, is Daniel. And he calls Daniel a prophet. I really want to encourage you to study through the book of Daniel. Dale, there's some weird dreams in that book. Have you ever read that book? Yes, I have. I really enjoy that book. But the first chapter particularly captures my attention. How do we get a 15-year-old young Jewish man having his city crushed, his family killed in front of him, marched across the wilderness in chains, and then put into the service of the king, educated for three years, and in the very beginning of his education, he says, no, I'm not going to eat from the king's table. Where does he get that kind of energy and that kind of godliness? That's worth looking into. Something was in his spirit at the age of 15, planted by his family, that said no to the appetites of that ungodly king. I want, as I said, that kind of strength in my no. The second man that Jesus affirmed, look at about verse, I'm going to say about verse 32. He says, as it was, what? In the days of who? Noah. Now, most of the time, when we think about Noah, we go tilt and default into the negative of Noah's day. And there was truly negative in Noah's day. But what about the good of Noah's day? Dale, what are you talking about? My friends, have you ever considered how long it took for Noah to build his ark? 110 years. When was the last time you saw anyone do for 110 years one thing that the Lord had given them and walk away a happy person? It's one thing to do something out of obedience, but it's totally another thing to walk away with a happy spirit. 
20 years, 30 years. And the people bring their children by. Daddy, what's this man doing? He's building an ark. Noah, why are you building an ark? God said it's going to rain. Noah, what's rain? Because up until that time in the Bible, we had no record of rain. Well, God said it's going to rain. It's going to flood the earth. Anybody that wants to escape the flood can get on the boat and they'll be saved. Yeah, whatever. 60 years, 70 years, 80 years. Now they're bringing their grandchildren along. Grandpa, what's this man doing? He's building an ark. Why is he building an ark? He said it's going to rain. What's rain, Grandpa? I don't know. Nobody knows what rain is. 90 years, 100 years, 110 years. And God says to Noah, Noah, great, you're done. Seven days, get into the ark. My friends, I know there's a big debate. No one could know. Jesus even said himself, no one can know. But Noah knew that he had seven days. I think before it's all over, when it gets real close, we'll know. And he said, Noah, get into the ark. The work that you've done for your generation is now going to prove very, very wise. My friends, we need a vision for longevity in the fasted lifestyle. That if this is my life for 50, 60 70 years, then so be it. But in the end, it will prove wise. This is what the Lord promises that He will reward. This kind of lifestyle. It's very simple. I've given you the menu. Go look at it. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount. We call it the fasted lifestyle. Make critical decisions with your money. Make critical decisions with your time. Compare it to James. This is what we call the fasted lifestyle. Father, I just ask today that you would impart grace. Lord, this is what I'm really asking. That like Daniel who lived it for 60 years and like Noah who lived it for over 110 years, I ask that you would give us a lifestyle that will feed the hunger of our heart to know You all of our days. I ask for this grace. I ask, Lord, for this impartation that it would come either now at this conference or in the next couple of days. I ask, Lord Jesus, that during this month, this coming year, that You would establish something so deep in our spirit that it will cause us to walk it out for the next 50, 60, 70 years. Lord, we ask... Unlock this lifestyle to us. We ask you that you would do it for your name's sake because you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time. This is what I'm going to ask. Listen carefully, please. This is what I'm going to ask. Those of you that are close to the front, let's say the first ten rows, if you would exit.